I'm Kathy with a C. And I'm Kathy with a K. And this is season two of Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Woodland Park, Colorado. Called the best kept secret by locals that love to visit often, Woodland Park is surrounded by the one million acre Pike National Forest. The town was founded in 1887 and was a major destination along the Colorado Midland Railway. The Connor M. Jones lumber industry provided the town with its initial economic boom, and wood from the local forest was harvested and used to supply Colorado Springs and other local towns with materials to construct their mines and railroads. The two largest attractions in the 20th century were cattle and dude ranches and the rodeo. The town is now considered a suburb of Colorado Springs due to the growth and expansion of each city bringing them closer. Woodland Park boasts a rural setting, a strong job market, and plenty of activities for outdoor enthusiasts. But in 2018, the disappearance of one young mother who was poised to reach great heights left everyone to wonder what could have been. On December 2nd, 2018, Cheryl Barrett called the Woodland Park Police Department and asked for a welfare check of her daughter, 29-year-old Kelsey. Mrs. Barrett, who lived in Idaho, told Woodland Park Police Corporal Dina Curran that she had not heard from her daughter since Thanksgiving Day, which was 10 days prior on November 22nd. Mrs. Barrett spoke with her daughter Kelsey on Thanksgiving morning, who told her mother she was going to spend the day with her fiancé Patrick Frazee and his family. After Mrs. Barrett accidentally called her daughter a few hours later and then hung up before Kelsey could answer because she didn't want to bother her on Thanksgiving Day, Kelsey texted back immediately and said she was tied up, but would call later. That was their last contact. Mrs. Barrett also told Corporal Curran that she contacted Kelsey's fiance, Patrick, and he told her that he had not heard from Kelsey since November 25th, which was three days after Thanksgiving. Corporal Curran also put in her notes that Mrs. Barrett told her that Kelsey and 32-year-old Patrick had a one-year-old daughter together. Kelsey Barrett grew up on a farm in Washington State with her brother Clint and her parents, Cheryl and Daryl. She was obsessed with flying from a very young age and moved to Colorado in 2016 when she got a job as a flight instructor in Pueblo. Kath, I read that she was actually teaching some of the young Air Force pilots how to fly. I read that she was excellent at what she did. Kelsey was drawn to Colorado after meeting Patrick Frazee online, and he lived in the tiny community of Florissant, about 100 miles southwest of Denver. Kelsey bought a condo in Woodland Park, which was about 20 minutes west of Patrick, and the two eventually became engaged. About a year later, in October 2017, Kelsey gave birth to their daughter. When investigators went to Kelsey's home following Mrs. Barrett's request for a welfare check, they found both of Kelsey's cars parked in front of her condo and uneaten cinnamon rolls on the counter in her kitchen. I know. How does that happen? (laughs) I know what you were thinking. (laughs) They knew Kelsey was a flight instructor, so police also reached out to her employer to find out if maybe she had taken a flight. The company did not have any records of her doing so and was able to confirm for authorities that all of their planes were accounted for. Using contact information provided by Mrs. Barrett, Corporal Curran called Patrick that afternoon. Patrick told the corporal that last time he had any contact with Kelsey was a text message he received from her on Sunday, November 25th. 
He said that he and Kelsey had grown apart and the extent of their relationship at that time was their daughter. He also shared that he had recently returned all of Kelsey's belongings to her, including her spare key to her condo, extra car keys, a handgun, and other belongings. Corporal Curran followed up with Kelsey's employer and spoke with her direct supervisor. He told Curran his last contact with Kelsey was a text message he received on Sunday, November 25th, telling him she would not be at work that week because she was going out of state to check on her grandmother. When Corporal Curran followed up with Mrs. Barrett, Kelsey's mom, about the trip to visit her grandma, Mrs. Barrett said that she was not aware of Kelsey having plans to visit. Her grandmother suffered from Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and was unable to communicate on the telephone. Mrs. Barrett checked with Kelsey's grandpa and he said he had not heard from Kelsey. At Mrs. Barrett's request, Kelsey was listed as a missing person on December 3rd, 2018. they took this case seriously. Kelsey's mother and brother flew into town and they were interviewed for about 12 hours. Wow. Yeah, the process was quite lengthy. I'm surprised considering that they weren't even from town. You know, I know they look at the families a lot, but the fact that they were from out of town and had that long of an interview really surprises me. Kelsey was probably such a responsible individual and who leaves town without their daughter? Corporal Curran again contacted Patrick Frazee. And I got to ask this question. Do you think his mom liked Patrick Swayze? Oh, because he sounds a lot like it. <laughs> Just a thought. Did she ever put baby in a corner? <laughs> what was that movie? Dirty Dancing. There you go. <laughs> All right. I digress. But Corporal Curran contacted Patrick Frazee to find out the last time he saw Kelsey in person. Patrick said he spoke to Kelsey on the phone the evening of November 21st, the day before Thanksgiving, and said she told him that she wanted them to go their separate ways because they had been growing apart. Patrick said they talked about the custody of their daughter, and they both agreed they were good parents and would split custody 50-50. The next day on Thanksgiving, Patrick said he went to Kelsey's condo to pick up their daughter, but nobody was home, so he ran a couple errands in town before going back, and this time he said he saw her in the alleyway leading to her condo. They spoke in the alleyway and Kelsey gave him their daughter. Patrick also told Corporal Curran that he spoke with Kelsey the following three days, so the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday after Thanksgiving, and then later on Sunday received a text from her that said, Do you even love me? He said he replied that he did, but a few days later received a notice his reply did not go through. The next day, the Colorado Bureau of Investigation agreed to assist with the investigation and arranged for a human decomposition canine to assist with the search of Kelsey Barrett's residence and vehicles. In a search of her 2006 Toyota Corolla, they found a sock and a small amount of what appeared to be blood in the front passenger seat. The canine indicated the presence of human decomposition on the driver's side rear bumper area. Authorities requested that Kelsey's cell phone provider ping her cell phone and determined that the last activity on her phone occurred on Sunday, November 25th at 5.13 p.m. in Gooding, Idaho, which was about 800 miles northwest of Kelsey's home in Colorado. The last message was the outgoing text to Patrick Frazee's cell phone. Colorado investigators contacted the Gooding County Sheriff's Department regarding Kelsey's disappearance and the location of where her cell phone pinged. Wooding County Sheriff's Department Detective Boyer and several other law enforcement officers went to the location of the ping. 
Detective Boyer described the entire surrounding area to be a large, steep gorge. Neither Kelsey nor her cell phone were found. As is customary in missing persons cases, police, of course, looked to the closest relatives and significant others. Kelsey's fiancé, Patrick Frazee, knew he would be scrutinized and decided it would be in his best interest to hire an attorney. Ten days after the police began looking for Kelsey, Patrick's attorney, Jeremy Lowe, released a statement that said his client had been interviewed by the police and provided investigators with a cheek swab for DNA along with his cell phone. Although authorities were not calling Patrick a suspect, a December 15, 2018 article by Associated Press journalist Kathleen Foodie said that Woodland Park Police Chief Miles DeYoung spoke to reporters the day before and urged Frazee to speak with investigators. Chief DeYoung said that Frazee had communicated through his attorney, but they wanted to speak to him directly. You know, I was surprised by this, Kath, and I think you were too, because everything that Frazee and his attorney were saying sounded like he was cooperating. And he was providing information. He just refused to sit down with him face to face. Right. And in the newspapers, there were a lot of articles that said he was cooperating with police. Right. So I definitely did not have the impression that he was hiding. Different definitions, clearly. Yeah, exactly. Police believe that he was the last person to see Kelsey face to face on Thanksgiving Day three weeks prior when he picked up their baby. Investigators had surveillance video that showed Kelsey entering a grocery store on Thanksgiving morning with her daughter. It was sometime later that morning when Patrick told detectives that he and Kelsey exchanged their daughter so she could spend Thanksgiving with Patrick and his family. Patrick lived on his mother's 35-acre property in Florissant, and police had already begun searching the property where he lived. And he actually lived in her house as well. So it wasn't like he had a separate house on these 35 acres. He was in the house that was there. Now, Kath, we know that he was a rancher. He was a farrier. He was very adept with horses and cattle. Was her property actually the ranch? Yes. It was. Okay. Yeah, the 35 acres was the cattle ranch. Okay. Okay. Very good. And I didn't I realize think... that. Because he, he also works separately at somebody else's ranch, shoeing horses and things right. like that. So I was going to say he was a farrier at other people's ranches that he would then go to, but he was responsible for the cattle on his mother's ranch. Got it. So Kath, right around the time that they were searching the property, something very interesting happened. Police received a screenshot of a Facebook post that appeared to be from Patrick's mother's account. So the name on the Facebook account was Sheila McCorkle Frazee. Okay. So the post was dated November 22nd, 2018. So this was Thanksgiving Day. And the screenshot contained a still from the Wizard of Oz movie that showed Glinda the Good Witch standing over the Wicked Witch of the East who was melting. And the caption that was on this post was, Yay, the witch is dead. Hmm. I don't think they knew exactly what to make of it. Do you have any idea who sent that to the police? You know what? They never revealed that. I never saw that in court documents. I didn't see that in anything that was reported. I actually found this because I was looking at the probable cause declaration for a search warrant, and it listed this as one of the reasons they wanted to search Patrick's mother's house. Oh, wow. Almost one week later, on December 21st, 2018, the Woodland Park Police Department announced that Patrick Frazee, Kelsey Barris' fiance and the father of her daughter, had been arrested on suspicion of murder and solicitation of murder in the death of his fiance. Police said they believed Kelsey died in her condo. Authorities still had not recovered her body, but Woodland Park Police Chief DeYoung said that based on the arrest, it should be clear that police did not believe she was still alive. He also told reporters that Kelsey's daughter was in protective custody 
and would be turned over to Kelsey's family. Patrick Frazee was officially charged with first-degree murder and three counts of solicitation to commit murder on December 31st, 2018. Now that says Happy New Year's Eve. <laughs> like, <getting charged. laughs> like a solid arrest. Exactly. <laughs> District Attorney Dan May declined to provide details about who else might have been involved in Kelsey's death or if the three counts of solicitation meant investigators believed Frazee tried to get three people to kill her. The document detailing the evidence for Frazee's arrest was sealed. The Twin Falls, Idaho County Sheriff's Office said that the FBI and Colorado authorities asked them the week prior to help prepare and serve several search warrants and process evidence in the case. The Sheriff's Office did not provide details about the searches or the evidence. So just one other aside, Kath, in a search warrant that was issued on December 4th, 2018, Colorado Bureau of Investigation agent Greg Slater spoke with Kelsey's mother, Mrs. Barrett, and asked her about Patrick and his behavior toward Kelsey and their daughter. Mrs. Barrett shared the story that when Patrick and Kelsey's daughter was born in October of 2017, she was three weeks premature and required special medical care that prevented her from being in Kelsey's hospital room immediately after her birth. Now, apparently, Patrick was very upset about this because he strongly believed that the first few hours after birth should be spent with the mother and the father for bonding purposes. So I said that Patrick was very upset. You're probably wondering just how upset he was. How upset was he? (laughs) According to Mrs. Barrett, he became so upset and verbally abusive to the nursing staff, they called social services. Wow. Imagine what they go through on a daily basis with nervous fathers, anxious fathers, you know, all all these kinds of things. To call social services. How bad was it? They probably wanted to make sure that Kelsey wasn't being abused. Well, and in fact, that's actually what they did. So this call led to their daughter being removed from their care until a safety evaluation could be conducted to determine if Kelsey was being abused by Patrick. That is interesting. So wait, let me ask you this. This story was in a probable cause declaration. It was. That is fascinating. Yeah. So the other thing that Mrs. Barrett reported to Agent Slater is that Patrick later told her after this had all happened that he should have killed the nurse who reported them. And then at the baby's first birthday in October of 2018. So this is just almost two months before Kelsey went missing. Uh He joked about the incident again, saying that he should have killed the nurse. A little over a month after Patrick was officially charged, an Idaho woman named Crystal Lee was arrested and also charged with tampering with physical evidence connected to Kelsey Barrett's disappearance. According to court records, police first learned about Ms. Lee, who was a registered nurse in Idaho, after getting a search warrant for Patrick's cell phone in early December 2018. The search warrant showed that Patrick was in contact with Crystal Lee in the days leading up to and after Kelsey Barrett's disappearance. And she happened to be living in Gooding, Idaho, which is where Kelsey's cell phone last pinged. According to an Associated Press article, four days after Crystal Lee's arrest, she appeared in court and pleaded guilty to tampering with evidence connected to Kelsey's death. A couple weeks after this, police began searching a landfill 90 miles south of Denver in an effort to locate Kelsey's remains. After several weeks, they ended the unsuccessful search. On Friday, May 25, 2019, just over six months after Kelsey Barrett disappeared, her fiancé Patrick Frazee entered a plea of not guilty to the charges of first-degree murder and solicitation to commit murder. 
So obviously he waived time if there was nearly six months between his arrest and his arraignment. It was reported by the Associated Press on June 15th, 2019, that investigators discovered a tooth fragment when they were searching Patrick's mother's ranch. District Judge Scott Sells ruled that the Colorado Bureau of Investigation could proceed with testing the possible evidence, but could only do so in the presence of Patrick's attorneys. Unfortunately, the tooth did not have enough DNA to determine who it belonged to. On October 28, 2019, jury selection began and ultimately consisted of seven women and five men, with two females chosen as alternates. Judge Scott Sells presided over the trial and opening statements were presented on Friday, November 1, 2019 at 2 p.m. I am sure both sides were so pumped up because this was a Friday and they're like, we are not going to be calling any witnesses. We have the whole weekend to prepare and start fresh. I'm sure they were pumped up. The prosecution's theme was calculated manipulation, and the defense theme was, viewed in light of the evidence, the story does not make sense. And Kath, this was a very unusual case because they still had not found a body. Exactly. It's super rare to have a prosecution at all with no body. Actually, California just convicted a guy and the victim. This is the Kristen Smart case. Exactly. Out of San Luis Obispo. Yeah, they just found the son guilty and they let the father off. One of the first witnesses was Kelsey's mother, Cheryl Barrett. The lead prosecutor, Jennifer Veeman, elicited testimony that on Thanksgiving, she and Kelsey had a normal conversation about recipes. And Kelsey told her she was going to spend Thanksgiving with Patrick, their daughter, and his family out at his mother's ranch. On December 2nd, Cheryl called Patrick Frazee and told him she could not get in touch with Kelsey and wanted to know if he knew where she was. Patrick said they had broken up and Kelsey wanted her own space. And this was a total shock to Mrs. Barrett because her daughter had never mentioned this to her. Mrs. Barrett then asked Patrick to check Kelsey's condo and he said he would do it after he checked on his cows. This was the same day that Mrs. Barrett called police and requested a welfare check. Raymond Sebring, Kelsey's assistant flight director at DOS Aviation, testified about texts he received from Kelsey about having to miss work so she could visit her grandmother. This was after the prosecution believed she had already been killed. Sebring was brought to the witness stand to show that the text did not sound like Kelsey's typical communication. Yeah, exactly. So, Kath, what he testified about was he said that she wrote, hey, Raymond, comma, I have to miss work kind of thing. And he said that was unusual. He said it didn't sound like her because normally she would have exclamation points like, hey, Ray, exclamation points. And he said she used emojis all over the place. And so this was not normal. He said he was struck by the fact that there was a comma and proper punctuation and that kind of thing. And she was probably being too formal. Exactly. Prosecutors elicited testimony from various witnesses to show Patrick Frazee was laying the foundation for Kelsey's disappearance. He was telling different people that she wanted time away from him and was not happy. For example, the state called Jennifer Barks, who worked in human resources with DOS Aviation. Ms. Barks said she knew Kelsey through the hiring process and took notice of her because they had very few female pilots and she was excited when women were hired as pilots. She told the police that Patrick Frazee was Kelsey's emergency contact and she notified him on December 3rd to let him know that the police had contacted DOS Aviation because Kelsey was missing. 
Miss Barks testified that during this call, Patrick said he and Kelsey had broken up because she wanted space. Ms. Barks also testified that Patrick told her that Kelsey had a drinking problem and went to rehab for it. She actually challenged him on this point because pilots are prohibited from excessive drinking and drug use and they work in close quarters with each other. So a co-worker for sure would have brought it up. That actually surprises me. He would try and pull that with an aviation company. Right. Especially because when you do hear about pilots who have been drinking, they're always ratted out by somebody. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. I would. I yeah. wouldn't want to be sitting in the co-pilot seat or be one of the flight attendants and be like, oh, he's drunk again. We're fine. Exactly. Like Denzel Washington in the movie Flight. Did you ever see that? I never saw that. I really like that movie. And Nisa Smith was another witness called to the stand. She said that she had known Patrick for most of her life since the age of eight. Patrick leased land from her grandparents for his cattle and would also shoe and trim their horses. Ms. Smith testified that she was surprised to find out that Patrick had a child and she did not learn about this until October of 2018. So the baby would have been a year old. Exactly. So Patrick tells Anissa Smith that he picked up his daughter at the hospital on the day she was born and claimed he had full custody of the child. He said that Kelsey signed over her parental rights when the baby was born and would not reach out for weeks or months at a time to check on their daughter. The prosecution also admitted surveillance footage into evidence to show a timeline on the day Kelsey went missing. On Thanksgiving Day, surveillance footage from Kelsey's neighbor's security camera and a nearby furniture store showed Patrick picking up his daughter from Kelsey's house at 12.37 p.m. Patrick then went to an ATM at 12.43 p.m. and Walmart around 1 p.m. and was seen on their surveillance cameras. At 1.19 p.m., the furniture store footage showed Patrick driving back to Kelsey's condo and the neighbor's surveillance camera picks him up again, which shows Kelsey, Patrick, and their daughter entering the condo at 1.23. The surveillance footage also shows a large black plastic tote in the back of Patrick's truck. The neighbor's surveillance camera then shows Patrick leaving Kelsey's condo with their baby at 4.24 p.m. And the furniture store surveillance camera showed him drive by at 4.34 p.m. with the tote facing the opposite direction in the truck bed. Bonjour, parlez-vous français? Me neither. (laughs) Despite the fact that I paid for it in college, which is why I need Rosetta Stone and so do you. As you all know, I've used Rosetta Stone in the past for my German and it's wonderful. And in fact, my niece is going to be studying abroad this fall and she's going to be using Rosetta Stone so that she can learn the language and have a much more enriching experience while she's abroad. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. And they have speech recognition, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. They also have two different options available to use it. It's available both on your desktop and through an app. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Killer Destinations listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Crystal Lee, the nurse from Idaho who we mentioned earlier, 
became the state's bombshell witness against Patrick Frazee. She was responsible for putting all of the pieces of this huge puzzle together for the jury. Patrick and Ms. Lee had an on-again, off-again romantic relationship that began in 2006, so this is 12 years prior. In 2015, Ms. Lee actually began making more frequent trips to see Patrick, even though she was married and had a family in Idaho. The prosecution sent her a letter that detailed their theory of the murder and offered her a plea bargain if she agreed to testify for the state. In exchange for her testimony implicating Patrick, the prosecution agreed that she could plead to tampering with evidence, a class six felony, which would be eligible for probation, and if she was sentenced to prison, would receive a maximum term of three years. With an attorney, Misley worked out a plea deal where she pled guilty to tampering with evidence connected to Kelsey's death. At trial, Crystal Lee testified about Patrick's plot to kill Kelsey and admitted that she had repeatedly lied to the police and her family when she first talked to authorities in December of 2018. She testified that between September and October of 2018, Patrick told her on multiple occasions that he wanted her to kill Kelsey. He told Ms. Lee that Kelsey was harming their child. So, Kath, on three different occasions, Crystal Lee actually followed Patrick's directions on how she should kill Kelsey. Yes. The first plot in September was for her to drug Kelsey by putting medication in a caramel macchiato and getting Kelsey to drink it. Right. (laughs) I actually read this and I was like, this is so half-baked. So what happens is Crystal goes and gets a caramel macchiato and knocks on Kelsey's door. They don't know each other. And there's no medication in the coffee cup at this point. But there was supposed to have been at that point. I honestly don't know how the plan was fully supposed to like... Mm, maybe it was half-baked, like play you said. Out. <laughs> exactly. And so Kelsey comes to the door and Crystal says, Oh, hey. Stranger. Yeah, here's this caramel macchiato. I just wanted to thank you for putting my dogs away. And Kelsey was like, I didn't put your dogs away. <laughs> anyway, so... And she's like, here's a caramel macchiato just for being you, boo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, she leaves without having poisoned Kelsey. Did Kelsey actually take the drink? I didn't see that. Okay, I don't know. Nothing I read said. I'm sure she didn't because she wasn't an idiot. But even if she did, my thought is, is she probably dumped it down the drain and then threw it away. Exactly. So the second attempt happened the following month. According to Crystal's testimony, Patrick gave her a pipe and told her to take care of the problem by hitting Kelsey on the back of the head. And then he wanted her to put Kelsey's body in a garbage can and then drag the can down the road. So Crystal went to Kelsey's house to carry out this plan, but she said when she heard dogs barking, she became scared. So she dropped the pipe that Patrick had given her and she drove away. But then Crystal testified that even though she doubted Patrick's claims about Kelsey being abusive toward their daughter, Crystal still returned to Colorado for a third attempt. Crystal then testified that for the third attempt, Patrick told her to come back to Colorado the next week with a baseball bat. So she drove back from Idaho, went to Kelsey's condo, put the bat on the ground and left after sitting on the curb, wondering how she got herself into this situation. Crystal Lee said that she believed Patrick was manipulating her because he would tell her that she did not have as big a heart as he did because she was not willing to help protect his daughter. According to her testimony, Crystal was doing what Patrick said because she was afraid of him and what might happen to her family. On Thanksgiving Day, November 22nd, 2018, Patrick called Crystal in Idaho several times and told her she had a mess to clean up and that he wanted her to come to Kelsey's condo. Ms. Lee testified that Patrick 
told her he blindfolded Kelsey with a sweater using the ruse that he wanted her to guess the smell of scented candles. I just think this is so sad. This person who she is supposed to trust, right? who's the father of her young child, yeah, just the... The betrayal. It's incredible to me. It's Thanksgiving Day and she is in the process of cooking food for him. Right. It's totally disgusting. Ms. Lee testified that as this sweater was on Kelsey's head, he bludgeoned her to death with a baseball bat. He then put her body in the black tote in the back of his truck, washed his clothes, then drove to Florissant for dinner. With his baby girl in the truck... And I read somewhere, Kath, I don't know if you saw this, that she was actually locked in a storage closet while this was going on. Okay, I did not read that. However, I do know that Crystal testified that the little girl was around at the time of her mother's murder. I don't know where. When Patrick left Kelsey's condo that day, he took her phone with him. Two days after Thanksgiving, Crystal Lee returned to Colorado, arriving on the 24th. She went to Kelsey's condo with cleaning supplies. When she walked in, she saw blood everywhere. According to her testimony, blood was all over the walls, the fireplace, the stove, the dishwasher, kitchen items, and Kelsey's baby's toys. And there was a large pool of blood on the living room floor. The prosecution produced photos showing specks of blood on a baby gate, the toilet, and the fireplace. So Crystal testified that she cleaned with bleach for several hours. Patrick told her to clean up everything, but instead of cleaning some of the items like cookie cutters, curtains, pillows, and a Bible, she threw them away, filling six trash bags with bloody items. Wow. Yeah, I know. Patrick instructed Crystal to take Kelsey's phone back with her to Idaho in order to make the police think that Kelsey had left the state. Crystal Lee admitted to sending two texts after returning to Idaho on November 25th, where she pretended to be Kelsey. One was to Patrick asking if he loved her, and one was to Kelsey's employer saying she would not be coming into work. She then got rid of the phone, and as we now know, she threw it into a gorge. So, Kath, interestingly, Crystal testified that she used Kelsey's phone on her drive back to Idaho in the hope that investigators would follow the signal and find her. Was anybody taking that seriously? Yeah, I don't know. But she also testified, it came out later, that like I talked about the photos of the blood specks on the fireplace and the child gate. Right. Okay. Crystal testified that she actually left that blood there so that eventually investigators would realize it was a crime scene. These were the ones that the police said were almost invisible to the human eye. Exactly. You know, what's funny is I've seen that as well. And honestly, I can't tell if she's saying it to try and get herself out of more trouble or if she's trying to believe it so she doesn't realize what she did was so bad. Right. I can't discern that either. But I have a hard time believing either of those statements. I hear you completely. The cell tower data that was entered into evidence was compelling because it showed Kelsey's phone being taken from her condo on Thanksgiving Day and moving to Patrick's mother's house. So their two phones had the same signal together, as you mentioned a little while ago. Mm -hmm. Investigators also testified that both of their phones, Patrick and Kelsey's, had the same signals for the next couple days. Investigators discovered that on the morning of the 24th, 
Crystal Lee's cell was connected to a cell tower that serviced Kelsey's condo. And as Crystal drove home to Idaho, her cell was connected to the same towers at the same time Kelsey's cell phone was. Corroborating her testimony about where she was on the 24th and then taking Kelsey's phone home with her to Idaho. Exactly. So Crystal Lee testified that once she had a signed plea deal, she took investigators to Patrick's property where she said the evidence had been burned. And when she's talking about evidence, she is talking about Kelsey's body. So, Kath, what Patrick told Crystal was that after he placed Kelsey's body in this black tote bag, he went and hid it on his property. So Crystal and Patrick together go. They place Kelsey's remains in a metal water trough, like a big trough that they use to like... Water cattle or what Exactly. Have you. And they burn her body in the tote bag in this trough. So she eventually brings the investigators to the area where the burn happens and they find burned plastic material, but no evidence that a body had been burned there. They also found a tooth fragment on the property that investigators opined was a fragment from a human, but there was not enough DNA on this tooth to test. This is the one we talked about earlier where Judge Sells said that they could test it, but only if the defense counsel was present. Yes, exactly. And there was somebody actually who worked on the farm who testified that he was with Patrick when Patrick took the steel water trough to a trash dump. And the guy had no idea. He didn't realize Patrick was getting rid of evidence. Patrick made some excuse as to why he needed to get rid of it. The prosecution also called Denver police officer Jonathan Priest, an expert on blood spatter and crime scene reconstruction, who testified that tiny specks of blood were found on the fireplace and baby gate. He also testified that the wood plank flooring was pulled up and blood was found between the seams, indicating that there had been a large pool of blood on the floor at some point. Officer Priest's testimony was that the blood spatter was almost imperceptible to the human eye. Officer Priest also testified that the spatter was consistent with someone being hit by a bat and the victim would have been hit 10 to 15 times or more. There was nothing to suggest death was accidental, but rather a homicide. Kath, I am sure the bulk of his testimony relied on the fact that when they pulled up the floorboards and saw so much blood in between, it had to be based upon that rather than these specs. Now, Kath, in a surprise and dramatic move, the prosecution called a witness who was not on their list. Exactly. It's a big deal. So this was something that came to light during the trial. So the defense was, of course, what were they doing? Hopping up and down. Hopping up and down. We haven't said that in a while. Exactly. And they made a motion to delay the trials to give them a chance to do discovery on this surprise witness. Judge Sells denied the motion. The witness was a man named Jacob Bentley, who had served time in the same jail pod with Patrick for a period of approximately two weeks. So, Kath, if Bentley had been in jail with Patrick, what do we call him? A jailhouse snitch. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Kathy's favorite. favorite. Exactly. (laughs) But this one was a little different, and you will explain why. Bentley gave dramatic testimony. Patrick Frazee had asked him to have his gang murder several witnesses in this case. Bentley further testified that Patrick wanted to prevent these witnesses from lying so that Patrick would be able to defend his innocence. Oh, Patrick, you're such a good guy. You go, boo. (laughs) (laughs) Bentley 
and Patrick had several conversations about the witnesses and Judge Sells determined that this jailhouse snitch was credible enough to testify because he provided investigators with 17 different notes in Patrick's writing that gave information about the witnesses that only Patrick would know. So that's the difference. He's not some snitch. He's actually got proof in the pudding. Right. And that was the judge's rationale for letting him go forward and testify. As such a surprise witness. Exactly. Yeah. And so, Kat, these notes had the names of the witnesses that he wanted killed, descriptions. They also had relatives of the witnesses and their home addresses. Wow. All of which was accurate. So when Bentley handed these notes to the investigators, the investigators were like, oh, my God, they verified everything. And one of these people on the list was Colorado Bureau of Investigation agent Greg Slater. Wow. Yes, exactly. And Slater took the stand to testify about these notes. It was super dramatic. And so the other witnesses, let me think, Crystal Lee and one of her best friends. Michelle Stein. There you go. That was Crystal's best friend in Idaho. And it's probably because Patrick thought Crystal had told her best friend everything. I'm sure that's right. Exactly. And then there was this other guy, Joseph Moore, who was actually a buddy of Patrick's. He wound up testifying against Patrick. And he basically said that he had seen Patrick treat Kelsey very, very badly, like verbally abusive. Okay. Yes. So as you said, Agent Slater testified, he was actually the last prosecution witness on the stand. And he read aloud various portions of these notes. Yes. Patrick reportedly described Crystal Lee. Now, I'm not going to actually say the words, but let's just say they're five very creative swear words. And let's see if you can guess what I'm saying. Patrick said Crystal Lee was an effing dirty A-C-B. That's true. (laughs) Direct messages on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) And Patrick said he wanted to see her with a bullet in her head. Yeah. So you pointed out that Agent Slater was the last witness. One of the things that I appreciated about the prosecution's presentation of evidence is they front loaded all of the necessary sort of foundational witnesses and all of the dramatic witnesses and sort of like the meat and potatoes came at the end. The jury really liked the blood spatter expert and they liked Agent Slater as well. Patrick Frazee chose not to testify. And no witnesses were called by his public defenders, Ashley Porter and Adam Stegerwald. Rather, their goal was to raise reasonable doubt by cross-examining all of the prosecution's witnesses. Crystal Lee was cross-examined and defense attorneys worked to show that Ms. Lee had multiple opportunities to tell authorities or anyone else about Patrick Frazee's plan to kill Kelsey Barrett, but never did. They also questioned her about how she was able to receive such a sweet plea deal before giving a formal statement to investigators, trying to demonstrate that she had the motivation to lie. Now, Kath, at the time of this trial, her sentence was not determined. And by the way, as far as the jailhouse snitch goes, Bentley, I could not find anything that indicated that he was receiving any special treatment from the prosecutor. I mean, it's possible. I just didn't find it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I read one source who said he was actually out of jail at the time of his testimony. So I don't know. I really can't confirm that. So you don't know what he was even being held for. Correct. Public defender Porter pointed out that if the scene was as bloody as Crystal Lee described, there would have been bloody clothing. But Patrick was seen leaving on video in the same clothes he wore earlier and with no blood stains. 
The defense also pointed out that there was no video showing a man outside of Kelsey's residence, presumably Patrick, on Thanksgiving Day holding a bat or carrying a large plastic tote. Crystal Lee's DNA also was not found anywhere in the condo, which I thought was very interesting. Well, except for if she used that much bleach. I know, but she's there six hours. I know. You'd think she'd like drop a hair or... Well, she said she had a hairnet on. That was one of the things she was wearing, but you would think... Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, but you would think her cleaning that much. Don't you think she's going to sweat at some point? And She's there six hours and she is going hard on all this stuff with the bleach. She's sweating. Yes. It does actually shock me that there was none of her DNA in the condo. There was also no video evidence supporting Crystalie's testimony about going to the condo to clean up the alleged crime scene. On November 18th, 2019, Patrick Frazee was found guilty of first degree murder in the death of his fiancée, Kelsey Barrett, solicitation to commit murder and tampering with a deceased human body. It took the jury fewer than four hours of deliberations to reach their verdict. Judge Sells sentenced Patrick Frazee to life without parole for first-degree murder, plus an additional 156 years. After his conviction, Patrick Frazee, who still maintains his innocence, filed an appeal. That appeal is still pending, but the primary points of his appeal are as follows. The first issue that they raised is that Patrick's right to a fair trial was violated due to juror misconduct. Like in high school, juror number five was overheard by three other jurors. Discussing about juror seven, eight, nine. <laughs> exactly. And who dated whom and who their plagues put the bottle with later. Exactly. <laughs> juror number five said that he overheard three other jurors discussing matters the judge told them not to. Among other topics, they mentioned they hoped for more DNA witnesses and complimented the prosecutor's professionalism. The court questioned the three jurors on the content of their conversations, and the jurors responded that they could still be fair and impartial. The defense pointed out that the court did not admonish the jurors who committed the misconduct or remind them that the defendant was presumed innocent. This next appellate argument is what I found most interesting. There was a witness named Mary Longmire, and she was a caseworker for the Teller County Department of Human Services. So she was not a police officer. She was not trained in interrogation or anything like that. Not any law enforcement official. Correct. But she testified at trial about many things Patrick Frazee told her during two interviews that took place when he was incarcerated in jail, like in the county jail, and had already invoked his Fifth Amendment rights and already had counsel assigned to him. So she was at county jail informing Patrick of the legal process relating to his daughter, which she is supposed to be doing. That's part of her job. And talking about where the baby was being held and who was possibly going to get legal custody and all that kind of stuff. So Ms. Longmire meets with him one time in county jail. Then she comes back for a longer interview. Now, according to the court record, she interviewed him between 60 and 90 minutes. I do not know if that was both interviews or one interview. Anyway, what happens is even though she knows he's accused of murder and she knows he's represented by counsel, she does not give his lawyers any notice of this meeting. She does not give him any kind of Miranda warning. But what she does do is she tells him, hey, look, I'm probably going to share these answers with police, district attorney, that kind of stuff. And she fills out this written assessment that had been personally handed to her by the district attorney for completion and returning to the district attorney's office. Is that not normal based on your voice? Totally not normal. Okay. 
And so the argument for appeal was that she was effectively an agent of law enforcement for purposes of his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination and his right to counsel. And in the appeal, it was interesting because the defense cited a lot of cases which basically showed that you can be an agent of the government, even though you're not law enforcement personnel. So what happens is that Patrick's defense attorneys find out that he was interviewed by a social worker and she didn't just interview him generally about his fatherhood. She specifically asked him about the activities of that Thanksgiving weekend. So she is getting into the details behind the prosecution's theory on the murder case. Anyway, so the defense attorneys find out about this. They flip and they do a motion to suppress his statements. And the judge recognizes this is fairly important. And so he holds a suppression hearing where he takes testimony. And basically with Ms. Longmire, he's like, hey, she's not a police officer. Miranda only applies to custodial interrogations. And Patrick Frazee could have left at any time. He was not obligated to sit there. But the defense attorneys were saying, look, he's already in county jail. He's stuck there. You know, maybe he didn't know he couldn't leave kind of thing. Anyway, so I thought that was very interesting. And so I'm very curious to see how that issue comes out on appeal. So one more thing. I read the defendant's appellate brief Mm -hmm. and then I went to read the prosecution's appellate brief. And I did. But the opening sentence of the prosecution's appellate brief says it all. It says Patrick Frazee was convicted of first degree murder after he beat his fiancee to death with a bat on Thanksgiving Day, burned her body and had his secret girlfriend clean up the bloody crime scene. Wow. Mic drop. Total mic drop. Kelsey's daughter is now five years old and is being raised by Kelsey's parents. By all accounts, Kelsey Barrett was a wonderful, loving mother, daughter and friend. She was a smart and ambitious woman who was poised to accomplish great things. According to her family, Kelsey loved everyone and everyone loved her. She made positive contributions to her community and was a beautiful person inside and out. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. <laughs> 